0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Personalization Outbreak Podcast number 15. In today's episode, we'll talk about how organizations are being compelled to evolve their talent management practices in today's more personalized world as they compete for global talent. Our guest, Eric Miller, will be one of our 30 thought leaders to be featured at our upcoming Leadership in the Age of Personalization Virtual Summit on October 28th, 29th, and 30th. In fact, Eric will be featured on day 2, October 29th, where he will address the urgency to reinvent talent management. Each day of the summit will focus on a different sector: healthcare, corporate America, and higher education, always aiming on the intersection between them as they must seek much more interconnectedness than ever before. The summit will be hosted by Fairfield University College of Arts and Sciences in Connecticut. And streamed by Lightspeed VT Studios in Las Vegas, Nevada, where I'll be connecting live and moderating conversations with speakers from all over the country. You can learn more about the summit and register for free thanks to our sponsors at 2020 Summit.ageofpersonalization.com. Now, Eric Miller is the Vice President, Global Talent Operations at Viacom CBS, and has spent the last 25 years of his career riding the ways of change exclusively in the HR space. Now with my co-host, Scott Lacey, we will discuss why personalization is demanding corporations to rethink their approach to talent and why 2020 is becoming a pivotal point for this transformation. Let's get started. So much for being with us today. We greatly appreciate your support. Thank you for having me, Glenn.: No, it's my pleasure. So Eric, uh, you have this simple uh, philosophy uh, that you bring to every opportunity, and I'll quote, "Meet people where they are, and keep the experience effortless and sticky. Everything that needs to get accomplished through process and technology should feel like an experience that each person buys into. And they can feel and resonate uh, with it at a level that means something special to them. So, Eric, how can can you share an example or or a story for our audience that brings this perspective to light, especially during today's age of personalization? Absolutely, I'd love to. So, um, you know, whenever
1: I'm looking at a new company uh, to join or 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 really spin up a value proposition for an employee, um, you know, I, I look at. Learning as part of a total compensation package, right? It's not just about base salary. It's not just about your bonus. Those are all great things to have. Money is a good thing to have. Uh, benefits are a good thing to have. But learning, learning opportunities, mentoring opportunities, affiliations that a company belongs to, um, further uh, along people's careers—that's part of a total compensation package, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and that's something that everybody should be looking at when they join a company, right? It's—it's it, it's not just about the dollar. Uh, it's not just about the brand. It's not just about, um, you know, what's, you know, benefits, et cetera. It's really about also how to propel your career, right? I always say that, you know, when you go into a company, you know, there should be resume items that, that you're building upon each and every day. If you're just going there to, you know, do one thing and that's it, I guess that's all right. Um, but if you want to really grow your career, if you, if you really want to try to thrive and, and make sure you're being marketable, um, and really, continue on your own educational path, your own educational journey. That's an important thing. Um, so, uh, a couple companies ago, um, we were having some issues with uh, with learning, as I think a lot of companies do. Um, people don't often go to learn; they go to do compliance courses on uh, on corporate websites. So, what I tried to um, spin up was something what I called Amazon Learning, right? everybody likes to go to Amazon. Everybody likes to go buy shoes on Amazon. Everybody likes to you know, get that, that, that latest book or, or, or digital download or whatnot. And then we all know it, right? Amazon then starts learning your behaviors and your patterns and it starts recommending stuff. So it says, Eric, I noticed that you like that pair of sneakers. How about this one? And then before long I've spent a lot of money, um, which isn't a good thing, but I think there's ways to apply that. And I've done it um, to learning, right? There's the technology out there that can create those experiences for you. It can say, Hey, Scott, I noticed that, you know, you really enjoy courses on, you know, Marine life. I'm just completely making that up. Um, we're going to put you in a, in an aquarium type uh, professional setting, but you really like that. Um, and it says Scott took one course and then, you know, maybe another and another and another in your traditional setting, in your traditional HR setting, it's a one and done. Scott took a course,
2: yeah.
1: transaction, and that was it. That's a fail, in my opinion. That's a fail. We didn't nurture Scott. We didn't meet him where he was at. There was no stickiness there. Scott went in. Scott went out. He's probably not a net promoter of that experience. He probably said, "Did I get something for the day?" Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was like a you know quick little snippet that you know sometimes you can subscribe to an email is what you're getting, you know, quote of the day or you know anecdote of the day or or what have you. But that's very transactional, um, and I think learning is something that you can't make transactional. You lose people. You lose uh, almost like a, a herd type mentality where you know you start moving people along, um, and you start having people talk to each other. So what we did was, first of all, is we reduced learning um, offerings to bite-sized learning. Because today's day and age, right? I, I mean, you, you see all the apps that get spun up all over the place, right? TikTok now, like, look at that minute, you know, Quibi, uh, what is it, 10 minutes or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, everything is, is highly bite-sized. So the educational um, offerings we wanted to do needed to be bite-sized. That was step one, all right? Um, we just saw what people were attracted to outside. We we weren't even thinking about learning offerings yet. We were thinking about what was happening in the real world and then translating that into the corporate and specifically within the learning setting, right? So we said, okay, you know, we have all these, these quick hit websites out there, we have the Amazon, what I said the Amazon experience. How can we kind of all bow tie this together? How can we bring it all together? So what we did was we created um, first, a whole bunch of uh, learning content providers, and the criteria to make it in was you had to have short, digestible content that was impactful, that felt fresh and relevant, not like your traditional like you know courses where you have a person droning on, and then you had to take a course at the end or a couple questions at the end, and you put you know your fancy certificate and then you're done. That was not what this was about. This was about landing content that was consumable. Next up, after we did that, is we kind of created um competency models and learning competency models specifically right so if you wanted to do that uh if scott wanted to do a whole marine life trajectory he was going to be able to do that right he was going to be able to now get that fed to him all by triggering off on one course right so we're going to say you you just arbitrarily clicked on that one course on marine biology right then all of a sudden what it's going to do is it's going to start serving up other content for you. That's very similar and also very digestible. And then not only is it going to say that, but it's it going to say, Hey, Scott, would you want us to put that in like a learning plan for you and put some like guardrails around it? Like, is this something you're looking to do right now or later? And then almost have a drip campaign after that. Hey, Scott, we noticed you haven't checked into the learning platform in a little bit. Is everything all right? You, you know, any new content or, or whatnot? So it made it very personable. It made it, it made it feel like everybody had kind of a learning experience all to themselves. Um, and it's based on rapid content, quick content. That's very digestible as well as um, plans that get created in that kind of Amazon model. Right. It's like, we know Eric likes the sneakers. We're going to you know, show him a couple more and hope he buys them. Um, so it's the, the same exact application applied to learning. Um, we had a huge uptick in learning, which was pretty cool. That's rewarding.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. So, so I love the model. I love the, the, the accomplishment, this new way of thinking that you brought to the organization and were influential in making happen. But you're talking about learning in the age of personalization when <laughs> most organizations, and we're talking well in excess of 95, 97%, uh, what you just described, uh, is a hopeful reality. Yes. How do we move organizations' learning strategies from standardization to personalization? Now, you gave us an example of, and maybe I should sure. re, re, maybe I should change the question a little bit. You've given an example of how to do that, but let's yeah. go before that. How do we get those that are in global talent management roles, just like you are? to recognize that the way we manage talent today is radically different than it was just five years ago, let oh. alone 10 years ago, but we're yeah. still <laughs> operating with standards of the past. What has, gonna, what, what has to give here?
1: I'm gonna challenge that and say, it's even different, what, what are we, we're in August now, uh, pre-COVID. True, so,
2: yeah, yeah no, you're right. Yeah. You know whole, what,
0: you know something that's so interesting? you're so right and you know why you're right because corporations in all institutions recognize it it's all about the individual now and if they don't do something now they're going to lose top talent but keep totally. going but keep
1: going and and, get, and i'm, I'm going to get back to the question but now the talent net you're not just casting it in you know i'm, I'm in you know the, the new york vicinity i'm not just casting my talent net there i'm now throwing it around the globe because we are now, we're now seeing people that can work, re- you know, remote wherever. And we're seeing high, you know, high yields. I mean, I've, I've been keeping up with the trades. Um, people are really embracing this work from home um, flexibility. And I think they're really showing up because it's giving them that flexibility, you know, and that, that's going to be a common theme here. Um, personalization and flexibility to me are, are very, very akin to one another. They're, they're, their stepbrothers, maybe, or, or something like that. they they <laughs> I think they're first cousins. Maybe they're first cousins,
2: right? Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so,
1: so it's 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 wildly different right now, right? Um, how how we're we're challenging ourselves as as corporations to think through that has now become wildly accelerated. I think um, so. I'm gonna, I'm slowly stepping into your question, um, but I, I want to kind of emphasize that um, companies now don't have the luxury of waiting to come up with a policy of work from home, of waiting um, for, uh, you know, employee mass, you know, critical mass to come up and say, we need to do something different. Employees, you know, employers now have to react and anticipate that in advance. Otherwise they're not creating that value proposition, right? They're not going to be able to um, start attracting the right people. They're going to lose them. It's, it is now, um, you know, it's gonna be a very, very different market in the coming months as more and more businesses come up online. I think, you know, you're seeing some early, um, you know, interesting things that are going on in the healthcare. Obviously that's, that's a big industry right now. I think you're seeing a lot of things going on in the streaming industry with everybody home. That's another big industry right now. People are doing things wildly different than they were, you know, five months ago. Um, so I think, you know, leading into the question, um, Glenn, it's, it's really starting to figure out what you want to make your um, employee value proposition. How are you going to meet employees where they're at in order to attract them? And there's definitely a little bit of branding there as well, right? Obviously, it gets to that. Sure. You need to figure out what are your pillars? Like, what, 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 what's kind of your tenants that you have to stand by um, and are willing to embrace to kind of figure
0: out this new workforce? So, Eric, if, if I'm someone, if one of our audience members is thinking right now, Eric give me two or three tips. What does yeah. that mean? What, what, yep. would you, what would you give them? Just what comes right off the top of your head,
1: right off the top of my head. You got to be nimble. If you're not nimble and you're, you're caught up with all this red tape of corporate you know, corporate bureaucracy, excuse me. It's a long word. Uh, <laughs> you're done. You're yeah. done. Um, and if you can't acknowledge that your employees need to nurture and feed one another. You're also done.
2: Mm, elaborate on
1: that. So your talent that should that's coming in should also feed off of the talent that's existing, and vice versa, right? Mm. If you're not creating that ecosystem where you're having ideas shared around and freely, where people are allowed, you know, freely to speak, and then you're encouraging that, and your leadership is pressing that message, not you know, not forcing it, but having that happen organically, that's that's a miss. That's a miss. You need open, open dialogue, especially right now. Case case in point, we're all on a zoom call together, right? If we're not freely conversing here, we're all going to walk away with this from different messages, different thoughts. Um, Each of us is processing different thought patterns right now. If we can align um, somewhat uh, and and kind of feed off of each other's ideas, riff off of each other's ideas, then you're going to have something a lot special, you know, more special than when you started off with. So I think, you know, nimble, is definitely one. Um, and that, that talks about kind of this little round robin right now we're riffing off ideas. And then also just feeding off of one another. Right? Um, I, I've seen I, and I've worked at companies that have meant well, that have had the best, best, best of intentions, right? But that can't get out of their own way. And it's too hierarchical, right? Can I speak to uh, the, the CHRO? Um, or do I have to go through you and you and you before I can do that? Can't have that anymore. It's just not work. So that, that, that would be my immediate response. I know it's a long-winded response. Sometimes I go off on little tangents here. HR is, it's definitely something I'm passionate about, but, um, you you really have to flex to, you know, the ever-changing workforce. If you get stuck, your company will get stuck, right? Employers, employees feed the company, the company then feeds the results or the product.
2: So Eric, this is great.
0: And I know that our audience is excited to hear what you have to say at the summit on October
2: 29th. But let me address a couple of things that you just brought up. And again, um, just, just some reactions. Sure. How, do you, how do you define what talent
0: management means? And the reason I'm asking you what yeah. I hope seems to be like a very fundamental question, I actually don't believe that there's a lot of consensus around what that term means. No, So what no. First of all, in your opinion, what should it mean? So let me just
1: react to something I, I, I like to do a lot, and maybe this is a fun exercise to do. Yeah. I call it the post-it note challenge. Everybody gets a post-it note, everybody gets a word, And they say, I know I'll tell them Define it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guarantee if each one of us had a post-it note, each one of us would write something different on talent management. It could be potentially directionally the same, but I guarantee everybody writes something different there, right? What does success mean? Guarantee the same exact thing. What does talent acquisition mean? All write a different thing. Talent acquisition means recruiting. No, it means, you know, nurturing talent. It means, you know, sourcing and pipelining the best talent that's out there. No, it just
2: means making a hire. Okay. (laughs) You know? Uh, So, talent management to me um, is soup to
1: nuts, making sure a person is equipped with what they need to do to be not just successful, but hyper successful in a role that they play. Anything less than that is not acceptable to me. You need to wrap people around with so much support that they have armed you know, within their, their toolkit, ways to do their job more effectively. Um, you're going to have people that learn at different paces. You're going to have people that move at different paces. Um, you know, I often get into um, big debates or I shouldn't say debates, but, um, and this is another drifting moment, but I'm going to bring it back.
2: No, no. Go ahead. I,
1: I was running a performance management program back in the day and um, it was hard getting people bought into it. Um, they had been, you know, your traditional once a year, uh, rating, then they've seen other people where it's not rated at all. Then they've seen other people, I just get the same rating over and over and over again and nothing happens. And what I needed to try to do was flip it around to say, you know, let's unpack that, right? Let's unpack why you're, you're feeling like if you get the same exact, you know, rating every single time you're feeling down on yourself you're feeling like you're not going to advance um and all that stuff now tucked in my back pocket I had a whole bunch of statistics that said people that were just you know scoring you know or or being evaluated as just being good solid contributors guess what they were getting promoted but that being promoted so what a miss what a miss so there's the talent management piece on the person right? Mm -hmm. Take, take charge of your career, right? Really, really start driving that forward and make sure that um, if you don't have uh, the resources around you, that you find them, that, that you look for them, that you actively look for them. But then we have it as a, as a responsibility as talent management professionals to really shine a light on that. We need to shine a light on everything that a company does that helps benefit a a person and makes them feel empowered in their career. So what happened when I, when I told them that one is it was utter silence. Then it was utter disbelief. Then I showed them the metrics. And now I said, forget about all this. I guarantee, cause then, they, then there came a lull where they said, well, I'm just not recognized. I'm not doing anything. I said, that's not true. And I went around the table. There was about 30 people there. And I said, who wants to volunteer first? Who wants to go first? And one gentleman said, I just run every day. I run payroll every day. And I said, God bless you because payroll is, is an unforgiving thing. It's, it's, you don't hear any noise until you get something wrong. But I said, anything ever go wrong? Cause I've, I've worked in payroll before. I go wrong. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What went wrong?
2: We almost overpaid somebody by $500,000. I'm like, well, that's, wow. that's a lot. <laughs> no, what did you do? How to avoid that? Because you said almost. You didn't say you did, you said you almost. Well, what
1: I did was I, 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 I ran my checks and balances against the payroll and turns out I was able to spot it and you know, we were able to, to, to pull back on the payroll before it went out to the bank. I said, so you were a superhero that day. Did you get acknowledged for it? No, 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 it's just what. I said, okay, so there's, there's two flaws there. One is you need to amplify that, right? And two is the fact that you didn't feel great about doing that, right? And that you differentiated yourself that day. I guarantee if you look back, you've differentiated yourselves on other days. And now all of a sudden the crowd, there's now there's like whispering to neighbors and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I, you know, there was a major outage in one of the, the, the servers or blah, 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 blah. And I was able to fix that. And then I wrote down a playbook as to what happens if that ever happens again. And they were like, all these little rumblings and stuff like that. And so now I said, let's revisit this. And now it was a much different story. Now people all of a sudden started saying, you know what? I can get this to work for me, I think. And it was like an aha moment for everybody in that room where they said, you know what? I can actually, one, there's acknowledgement from management. So the talent management aspect of, yeah, you know, from an employer to employee, but then all of a sudden the employee to the employer, oh my goodness, I got to talk to people about that. Why didn't I, I $500,000 almost went out the door, but I saved that. So that was a pride thing, right? So, so now we have, it's a bi-directional thing, right? It, it gets back to kind of that effortless, that, that, that stickiness where now people are kind of seeing the benefits of, of what they're doing and they, they shouldn't feel like, I'm just going to work every day and I'm not getting acknowledged. Because I guarantee, Guarantee, I'll bet a paycheck on it. You did something magical at least once during the year. Everybody, I don't care who you are. I don't care what role, from the most entry person to from an intern, right all the way up to the top. Guarantee you did ma- something magical at least once, one,
2: one point during the year.
0: You know what's, what's incredible about that story is there are more magical moments that we don't ever even find out about. And th- this is where leadership needs to really step in. I mean, we're at a time right now where there are more people delivering these kind of moments and we don't need to, and we don't know about them. Why? Because we don't take the time to know and to see our own employees.
1: Yep. And guess what that erodes, that erodes confidence in the organization. Yep. It's in the leadership and it just feels bad, right? It just feels bad. Um, so, so let,
0: me, let me do this really quick on that yeah. note uh, because I think it's a good segue. And then, Scott, we're going to come here to you in just a moment. All right. Here's an example, real, real quote uh, from a Fortune 20 uh, leader who said this. Sure. I, pra-
2: and I just want you to react
0: to this because this, this is in line with what you're, what you're talking about. Sure. I practiced all of our values. Oh. All of my performance ratings were high to very high. Based upon how the company wanted me to work, I emulated my work and my style based
2: on five other senior executives in the organization. I did everything they wanted me to do, but I'm still not being considered for the promotion. Yeah. Unpack this for us. So one is you've created a robot worker
1: with no thought diversity. So that's strike one, if I'm being
0: honest, right? Um, well, by the way, you're being super honest of the grand majority of workforce populations today, but please continue. So, so you've
1: created a robot worker that's not empowered, uh, whatsoever. They've been kind of brainwashed into thinking that I need to live these values, which you do, right? I mean, um, I always say how you live values is 50% of, of how you're showing up in an organization and 50% is what you deliver. Um, you know, how you deliver something is just as important as the delivery itself, but you've created a robot worker. So I applaud the, the, the person um, or the program for that. Um, no diversity, no thought leadership or anything like that. You've just pre-programmed your whole population to think like that. Um, and now, you know, after showing that robot that, you know, that's how you, you get to work, then you don't reward them with anything. Um, now, listen, I, uh, you know, spending this long in HR um, and there's many, you know, plenty more people that have a lot more tenure than I do in the space. Uh, but I can see the reactions. I, I know the reactions. Um, people do always expect a, a promotion when you're, you're mimicking everything. Um, and when, you know, you're exceeding expectations sometimes. And sometimes there's just, you know, just let's be real. Like sometimes there's just not that, um, that spot but that being said you need to at least provide a person with um, that trajectory to say okay you've hit everything you've hit on everything you've lived our values you've delivered on everything here's you know reward them with with assignments that are outside of their you know outside of their remit if they're showing and embodying so many values shake up another you know another piece of the organization right I get back to what i was saying initially right glenn like i said it's always about building the resume right building building the resume building the experiences so if you can't give a person either financial um rewards or promotion rewards give them the reward of saying you know what you've outperformed people here what about going over to finance right what about going over to distribution or sales like, we just like how, you, how you're thinking here and what you're showing up and how you're bringing your, 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 your values to the table and your skills and your delivery. Have you ever thought about that? Because now what I'm doing is I'm saying, okay, you know what? I can't do anything for this person right now except potentially leverage that person selfishly, right? So now it's the employer-employee debate. Employer to shake up an area potentially that's struggling that maybe needs a little bit of thought diversity. And you know, I'm a big proponent of thought diversity. I think it's I think you should be kind of rotating in and out people. I mean, there's consistency, but I think you should be rotating out certain people in and out all the time. You have to be shaking up things or you're not going to move forward.
0: So, Eric, let me just jump in and say, yeah, it's interesting what you said, and I understood the context is in which you were saying it. But see, we've been rewarding people for mimicking much too long.
2: Absolutely, and, and that's the,
0: and that's the standardization trap. While yep. in the age of uh, personalization. We should be rewarding individuals for the distinction. That That's they, right. Which, by the is way, that... goes back to the story that you talked about in the, in the accounting department. But, uh, but moving people to another department, yeah. you, is, that, is that the role? And I know there'll be debate for this.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, but I'd definitely. love for you
0: to give me your, your thoughts. Whose responsibility is it? Is it the department leaders or is it the talent management executive that needs to to, to intervene here, who should I think it's
1: I actually think it's a it's a three way three way tie. Uh, maybe not three way. I think talent management needs to talk to the business, right? They need to understand the needs of the business, and they need to understand what's going on out there. Um, they need to understand what's working, what's not working. So there's a, there's a degree of responsibility, and whether you you know whether you're partnering with business partners to help broker those conversations, or going directly to the the businesses themselves. That needs to be happening. That partnership needs to be happening. Then there's also, I believe, you know, there is a degree of responsibility on the employee, right? They yep. want to do this. They have to want to show that, Hey, you know what? I, I think this is an amazing experience. I, I've, I've batted it out of the park um, in my current role. I think I could disrupt stuff over there. Um, but I do Glenn, I, I see it as, as there needs to be a joint accountability mm-hmm management. And again, whether they're working with the HR business partners who are liaisoning with the business or going direct to those managers themselves, there needs to be a give and take. And this is where you kind of get into, you know, your traditional succession planning or right. high potentials and all that stuff. So there's a degree to still fall into that non-personalization trap. You have to basically say, okay, let's recognize, I'll say different performers,
2: hmm. not
1: necessarily you're high performers all the time. You're different performers, people that have done something differently um, that I didn't expect them to do, that benefited not only the department, but maybe even outstretched beyond that. Um, I think we need to think of things like that. If you get trapped in that hypo nine box model, all your traditional stuff, which by the way, has you know, it has a piece in certain companies, or it has a piece as people are starting to build it out. I'm not a fan of any of it. Um, I, I think there's a way that you can walk, um, walk through a program that doesn't need to necessarily rely on that, um, mm-hmm. but relies on observations of the talent, what you're seeing. Now, that requires a heck of a lot more work and effort, but I can almost guarantee you're going to get out more from that than you would from a traditional nine box or performance management rating system or, you know, just your traditional hypo um, where you're calibrating everybody against one another. That feels oh. very robotic. Well, Eric, it
0: seems to me as if uh, you're well on your way of creating uh, at least a strong framework of what that next model looks like. And by yeah, the way, I love, I love this thought of the different performer. I think there'd be a lot of people that would jump all over that. Scott, yeah. Scott, we need you back in the conversation. I've What'd been you here think? the
3: whole time and I got <laughs> plenty of questions and observations. Oh. Um, I'm going to start with one because uh, the, the one I want to start with I want us to kind of do a thought experiment a little bit um, and kind of put ourselves into a different uh, position. I think sure. we're doing a really I think we're doing a really fun job and it's an exciting job for me to listen in about how we're seeing personalization and the employee through person, personalization from a top down view where we're, we're essentially looking bottom up but we're still doing it from a strangely top-down situa- or per- per- perspective. And that's not a problem because perspectives, we need as many as possible. So let's throw another one in there. Let's throw it in all of these same ideas. Let's throw in the, the actual employee's position and let's not talk about somebody that's gonna end up in a boardroom. Let's talk about um, one of our employees that will probably be a great long-term employee. Absolutely. I'm thinking I can solve, simplify this So this is the employee's point of view. And what do you think, Eric? Um, So I'm gonna take you back to ironically, a standardized test thing, right? Oh boy, all right, let's do it. So robot work, a robot worker is to job security as the personalization styled work is to what? And let me just reiterate why I want that answer, why I wanna think about it together. And Glenn, maybe we need to hear from you too. What I'm I'm saying is that from a point of view of somebody who is an employee that really isn't looking, I want to learn, I want to grow, but I don't really have intentions of becoming the next CFO or CEO or even a middle-level manager. I just want my job so I can take care of my kid because that's what's most important. So that's my position. So when I look at what's out there and when I look at what's out there right now in terms of the economy and unemployment, When I see robot work, I know that that's job security. If I can just deliver on point what they need and what they measure me by, the reason I'm not gonna step out of my lane is because I might lose the entire lane. So robot work is to job security as personalization work is to... Well, I'll call it out
2: right now risk, but I've had this... It's it's fine. It's upside
1: down, man. (laughs) By by the way, by the way, Scott, I love your backdrop. Um, It's, 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 it's very cool. I've been studying it the whole time.
3: (laughs) Thanks dude. It's all Molly West Africa.
1: (laughs) So, so I, I, I think you hit it right on the head. Right. And that's why I responded with risk because the minute I start personalizing myself and differentiating myself, I'm taking a risk positive or negative. That's what that type of, that's what that blueprint that you laid out, that worker where, you know, I'm equating, ro- you know, the robotic work, to that job security. Absolutely. Um, anecdotally, that whole uh, session that I was alluding to before, where, by the way, we were all sitting around in almost a, a roundtable circle. Um, we, we had chairs around because I don't like, I don't like talking out. I like talking within. Um, they were all that blueprint. They were actually all just like that. They didn't want to lose their job, Scott, at all. Yeah. Not. Um, they were, they, they were, you know, and I'm not knocking this at all. Um, they were, a lot of them were very long tenured employees. Um, they did not want to rock the boat, which is why I wanted to tease out the time that they did it anyway, but Okay, acknowledged it, including themselves. Oh, right. So that's, yeah. that, that's kind of back. So if you can kind of extract those moments out from people, you start to say to them, it's all right. If I shine a light on some work that I've done that maybe disrupted things in a good way or a bad way,
2: because you know what? The show continued and I'm still here, but I made an impact that day. I didn't make an impact that day.
1: I did not overpay somebody by $500,000. I, uh, you know, did create a report that, you know, whatever, you know, you know, I, I, I save the servers from crashing. That's, you know, robotic work, but amplified, right? My day, my day job is to come in and flip the server switch every single day, but then once I flip it and it doesn't go up, what do I do? Well, I know what's going on. I've been doing this for 20, you know, 25 years. I triaged it. I figured out what was going wrong, you know, with it. And, and isolated that out and did it, but then I forgot about it. Why? Because I don't want anybody to know about it because I want to be in that kind of, you know, that, that yeah. thing because I want job security. I don't want to know. Nobody should know that the server went down. Everybody should just know that everything is all good. But you know what? Guarantee at some point that person
0: felt a little lousy about what they did. No question. In fact, I'm not wanna, vocalizing it. So, so, so Scott, really quick, I need to ask this yeah. question because I'm very curious about how Eric is going to respond. In fact, this may add another dimension to where you're going with this, Scott, and I'll keep this
2: brief. Yeah. For the robot employee, there is risk. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, I, I get that. Let me hear you. But, but something happened in May, the murder of George Floyd, and the, uh, the veil, the corporate veil
0: against, and I'm saying against because on average, that's how the, the corporate uh, construct was designed, It wasn't designed to embrace individuality. So now here we are. Um, Is personalization risk or is this now the moment that everyone's been waiting for
2: to take it from risk to opportunity? This is the moment that we've all been waiting for that we can all screw up real fast. Yep. Don't embrace it
1: and make it sticky and make it stick because otherwise it's just another blip. The cycle will continue. We'll have another cataclysmic event. It'll be another shine the light on this for a minute. And then we'll, we'll keep on getting into this big circle again. Now is the time. And I think, you know, sadly enough with everything that's going on in, in the world right now, I think this is the moment where there is that tipping point. I think we've we've reached that tipping point. Um, you know, again, just talking with with peers out there, you know, in, in different companies, there is this kind of static in the air right now that we can no longer go back to how we were pre George Floyd, pre COVID. It, it it can't work anymore. It is not a sustainable approach, and it's not right for any of the employees that exist with us or that we're trying to attract.
3: So Eric, let me throw a a follow-up to that. And I wanna talk about from biology to culture, all right? Sure. So biologically, what I would like, what I do when I'm thinking about, say a grand opportunity like this for a species, um, as an anthropologist, I like to think of the long-term. So I'm gonna take it to a little bit wider than our species and I'm gonna bring in the other apes. And something that I think find remarkable when I read about not the science that the apes helped us, the other apes helped us to, to discover, but literally the personal experience of the apes themselves, the individual ape and what happened to them in their life trajectory as they became one of our most important and influential uh, contributors to science. Now, here's the deal. I know biologically that a lot of times when there was the opportunity to actually take the ape, go back to say, Central Africa, open up the cage and say, thank you, buddy. Have a good retirement. That the ape doesn't leave, man. You have to prod it. You have to literally force it to go away. It doesn't want to. Um, That's our biology. That doesn't change quickly. That goes back millions and millions of years, right? 63 plus for for primates in general. Absolutely. the, the deal, though, is I'm going to throw sort of what, what gives me hope out there, and I'd love to hear your response uh, from an HR point of view, right? So for me, the excitement is that our biology is going to make us withdraw in this crisis. Our biology yeah. is going to make us not want to respect different ways of looking, being, and seeing in the world. Our biology is going to push us apart. However, one thing that we're discovering is that we do have, besides our biological DNA, we do have what I'll call cultural DNA, which are our words and our ideas that you aren't born with, but simply because we can talk like this, we can exchange it and spread it out in ways that biology would take centuries, if not millennia to to discuss. So I'm thinking that there's some cultural DNA we can put to work here to get people, or at least not to get people out of the cage, but to get people to want to get out of the cage in the first place. Um, What's the cultural DNA I'm looking for, man? Oh boy. That
1: is, wow, that's not even a million dollar question. That's.
3: Oof. that's hey man, I can tell it. You talked about ma- magical moments, man. And you gave me a few of them already in the beginning of your talk uh, today, especially when you were taking, you're an HR guy. You've, you you've done all kinds. Co- I mean, your accomplishments are amazing. And when, when I, when I got to talk to you the very first time, the first thing that you got to do right in this conversation, was you threw out an example that went straight, you personalized it, you put it to me, you put it to marine biology, which I do love by the way, and, <laughs> right, and you put it into education. You didn't have to go there, but you did. You've got cultural DNA tricks that I think are so inherent that you don't, you don't think that other people don't have those. So share some cultural DNA tricks about getting apes out of cages. Yeah, well,
1: I, I mean, first of all, I love, I love- the whole uh, example. And in fact, one of my favorite artists, Peter Gabriel actually played uh, instruments with Bonobo apes and he actually learned from them and they learned from him. Um, So I'm going to, I'm going to actually go off of that through no, no, I'm not even trying to personalize. I'm just actually trying to just go off of the example just because I I love it. And I I love Peter Gabriel. So that's a little plug. (laughs) So, so I think you, you really, you really do need to kind of observe people um, and observe how you're going to communicate with them, and observe how you can really kind of broker that exchange with one another to to kind of facilitate something that that's different, right? Every interaction is is different. How how I interact with my friends is definitely different how, than how I interact with with my children. Um, and my children are they're my 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 grounding. They they keep me very very grounded. But even within them, every single one of them, there's a troublemaker. There's the, uh, the 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 princess that will help out, Daddy. No matter no matter what. There's my son who will challenge me to push me to push me further. And then there's my other daughter that shows me creativity abound. I'm observing them. We need to get the it going back and forth, right? Um, it's it's funny. This this morning I was looking at an article that was talking about having having performance reviews with your kids, and I. <laughs> I really laughed. (laughs) I really really did. But I'm kind of like trying to draw off of that, that cultural DNA. I think it really has to go both ways. When you're talking to people, let the conversation, you know, not be so structured where people are so rigid, where they're not going to feel free to have this thought diversity. I mean, we're seeing all this, you know, censorship that goes on right now where, you know, news media blasting out, you know, what their message is, right? And all that stuff. I've actually challenged people to say, turn off, turn off the news and, and just start communicating with people and see where they're at. Because if you actually start growing that organically, I think, I don't know, um, as you said, Scott, right? This is very, very, you know, inherent in, in how we've, we've evolved. But I, I think you do, have an opportunity or a better opportunity to figure things out, kind of talking in that organic nature to start again getting the person out of the cage to start thinking, okay, well, maybe if I'm having a conversation, one, they're respecting my ideas, wow, that's cool. Yeah. They're listening to me, that's cool. And I'm picking up on some of their stuff. So now I'm starting to create a little bit of a bond. And if you do that enough, I think you start. Who knows how long that's going to take? I, I think quite quite some time. Um, but I think if you do that enough, you start bringing people out, and you start having that diversity of thought, that personalization of thought, um, where you're starting to create different different mindsets, different ideas, and then hopefully that translates into society. Forget about the company for a minute.
0: Yeah. But hopefully that translates into it, society. I'm sorry, Eric. You know, when I hear what you just said, which was so good, Eric. Um, standardization has essentially created apes that feel comfortable in cages. In other words, we're so accustomed to be putting be put in boxes, and that's that's, right. that's where our safety comes from. Yeah. In today's age of personalization, that's not enough. In fact, nope. it's a detriment to any organization and to any culture that promotes that, because the the, the level of crises. That we're all experiencing in real time today demands our individuality. It demands that we have those conversations. But Absolutely. Think, but think about what you just said. I mean, as you were talking, I was trying to process this. And think about how long it's going to take for us to have those that two-way oh. dialogue to get us where we all want to be, because yep. standardization has bottled us up to the point where we're conditioned to feel that number one, we can't have those real conversations. Uh, and then if we do, it does put us at risk rather than opportunity. So here's the question. How do we accelerate it to get from A to Z, let's say in two months rather than two years? Because we don't have two
2: years, Eric.
0: Yep. I think you, you what have what do we
2: I think you have everybody say it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be vulnerable, right? You hear, you know, the
1: expression, um, safety in numbers, right? I I think that's, that's been driven in, and that, that kind of creates that mindset, right? That, that, you know, I do my job. I'm going to come in and get a paycheck, safety in numbers, right? I'm doing repetitive tasks. I'm doing everything. My peers are doing safety in numbers, but if you kind of explode that and say, you know what, it's, it's okay to feel vulnerable. I think we all are. I'm certainly feeling vulnerable right now in, in, in the world. Me too. You, you know, I, 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 and I'm happy to say that, um, that's I think step one, right? Step one is acknowledging as an employee or as a person, as a human, the human condition, I am vulnerable. i um, having those conversations. Right. You know, I, I think, you know, and I, I'll, I'll save this for another time, but I, I think mental health is a very big thing that's untouched right now. And I think, and I, and I think it's, that's really, really sad. And that's something that means a lot to me right now. Um, and that leads to some really, really bad consequences by, by having a person not allowed to say, or not feel that they're allowed to say that they're vulnerable. And likewise, not having a company or uh, a, a net around them or, or a circle of, of, of people that says, it's okay to feel vulnerable. So I'm just tying in that mental health thing, you, you know, because it, it just is it, something that, that's very personal to me. Um, but I think it's it's saying we are vulnerable, but we need to do something about it, something it, it, about it right it's
0: now. So it's, so it's interesting, Eric and
2: uh, Scott. Please just jump in at any time if I've disrupted any flow here. Um, but let me point out one thing, and I think. Uh, our audience has heard me say this before, but I'd love for you to,
0: to get a reaction, get a good reaction from you, Eric. That you know what is not the most important thing anymore in, in, in the workplace? It's not employee engagement. It's actually whether or not when we show up to work, whether we're doing it from the comfort of our homes or an office building, that we're part of a safe environment where we're not judged as individuals. And I share that because uh, that's how people have felt for years. Kind of goes back to why the gentleman that you were speaking to in the accounting department didn't say anything when he had a magic moment. My point is, it seems to me that we're in the behavior change business today. We are. Great word. and, And I share that with you because don't the rules of engagement, don't the rules of or the standards of talent management change, uh, even from the types of talent that we're really trying to look for in our organization. In other words, if we're looking for a marketing executive, are we looking for one that's been a marketing executive for 25 plus years? Or do they have a particular talent that can contribute to the organization's marketing needs? So, I mean, th- this is an example of behavior change, right? Rather than looking at the resume, we're looking at the individual that can help us mobilize a particular need forward. So I threw a lot at you. You're more than capable of handling that. <laughs> oh, but, man. But, but please, please react, because these are the big issues that people are thinking about, but new- do not dare to talk about.
2: Wow, that's a lot. Um... But is it, or is it the, or is it the same thing, just packaged in different ways? I think right now we're just re-pa- we're repackaging. Still, yeah. I think I, I think we're we're still repackaging.
1: But I think I've seen enough right now that we're now starting to unpackage a little bit, a little Good. bit. Okay. Um, I I've seen companies right now. Um, forced. I think the I think what, what we're gonna see here is the acceleration is going to be more rapid. It's out of necessity. It's not because necessarily the company wants to anymore, which is sad, but they have to. We have to get on Zoom calls now because of social distancing. We have to get on Zoom calls now because we have to keep businesses going or universities going, etc. Um so I think the rate of change, this is this is why I was saying before, I think there's this is a magical moment and we have to not screw it up as humans is we all, we're all talking the same thing, right? We know we have to personalize the experience for, for, for all of humanity and specifically within the workforce, right? We know we have to do that. We keep on saying, we know we have to do that, but we keep on just punting. We kick the can down the road. Yeah. So sort of like. um, now we're forced to, we can't do that anymore. I can't kick the can down the road. I need my people to learn. Will to be taking educational, um, you know, curriculum, uh, et cetera, to keep up with, you know, just with, with stuff that's going on out there. But then I also want them to feel empowered at a distance, right? I want to make sure that Eric is feeling good at his, at his home. Now I think there's still a bit of time to get there, but certainly the rate of change, I, I don't think we're looking at a two year runway anymore. Um, I don't think we're kicking the can down the road. Some people may. Um, and that's sad, I don't think we're kicking the can down the road, though, in the majority of companies anymore. I don't think they can afford that. I think now when you're sourcing talent from across the globe, now you're dealing with cultural differences that you didn't have necessarily before. You now, how am I going to adapt to them? Right? So now, so now your personalization isn't just like within my organization. Now you're talking about actually how people were born, raised, you know, grew up. You're talking about differences there. Um, so our learning curves as organizations have to accelerate quite rapidly right now or, We will go the way of the dinosaur, right? We will. We absolutely will as corporations. And we'll just, we'll lose talent. It'll, it'll road out. Um, And that's for future talent. And then, you know, current talent, I'm going to feel completely isolated. Um, If I'm not having these calls, I have, I mean, my days literally consist of Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting. Why? Because I want to see the person. If I can't touch them, if I can't, you know, give them a hug or shake their hand or be physically, you know, close to them, I need to see them um and i think a lot of leaders are waking up to that and some people are really embracing it to say hey this is working but now we can't rest on that because otherwise we're just again creating a robot hey i'm going to log into a zoom hey i'm going to give a report hey this is that blah 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 blah. we need to kind of seize this and amplify out what people are doing um how they're operating differently um i was doing that just just today is is how are people operating within this new landscape, what do people need that we're missing right now? I, I'm telling people within my little my little uh my little team, how could we, you know, how can we work differently? What's working well? Because I don't certainly profess to know how everything works perfectly. I, I have my own thoughts I have strong viewpoints. Um I I would like to think I have a high EQ. Um but uh I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what Scott is thinking. I don't know what, what Glenn is thinking right now. Um, I hope it's not Eric's boring us to death. Um, but, but, but you know, um, I, I, think it's, I, I think there was a lot to unpack there, Glenn. I think, one, we don't have the luxury of time anymore um, in this new world uh, because at the end of the day, companies want to see results. So that aside, that's going to start forcing some of this new talent management um, design. And I, and I think the embracement of that. Uh, and hopefully the employee will see it.
3: I'm going I'm to offer up based on what you said, Glenn, and what you said, Eric, and, and multiple points of, of the conversation today. And it's an immodest proposal. I'm going to suggest that every single boardroom across the land immediately, and this is, this is not for me, but I'm just saying they immediately need to hire an anthropologist to be a director of anthropology for the boardroom. Right. Um, Ultimately, the reason why we need a director of anthropology is because, Glenn, you're throwing the question to to Eric saying, what do we do? Because we're in behavior change. So how are we going to do this behavior change for the ape problem? And, And and that's a really tough one to deal with. But one of the things that we already already automatically do when we start talking about this exact question structurally from H.R. or even on a species level. Right is that we go back to the previous frame and expect it to meet us there and then carry it further. We need to disengage. The deal is anthropology as a discipline itself and anthropologists who are trained in the four fields of anthropology, literally have their, our power comes from the fact that we don't just study the biology of humanity and think that we have the answers because behavior changes more than biology. But it's not that we just threw in culture and have now bio DNA and cultural DNA. That's right. But you know what we also do, our third one, it's also going to be language, linguistics. So let's, let's do some archaeology on that linguistics to make sure that every term we're using is putting us forward or at least opening doors rather than excluding people. And then, fourth, the last one, and perhaps most important for us in many ways right now today, is archaeology and in particularly digging up the past. We need yeah. to dig up the past. We need to put that right next to the language that we're using and understand the relationship between our past and the language we're using today to get out of the cage, because the language you're using, we're using today will not get us out of the cage. It's the keys, right? And then we, we, we also can expect culture and culture changes in a, in, a, uh, in a corporate boardroom or even in a corporate structure. We can expect that, uh, that, that culture can change and we can change it very quickly, but you know what doesn't change? Not very quickly at all. It's our biology. So we need to be rooted in that as well to understand where we're coming from in terms of the way that we're processing our consciousness, right? Stress levels, um, how, how breathing and the way that you breathe can impact the way that you're healing or not. Right? Absolutely. The bottom line, what I'm saying, if, if I can sum this up more easily and then just I'll back off and that's the day. I love it. The the, this is it. You need to hire that anthropologist in your boardroom. Why? Because all those other things are said by bringing these things together that are behavior change. If you need behavior change, you need all four of those things. But if we need to sell it quickly, because we kind of do with our little digestible tidbits of knowledge, here it is. (laughs) The reason you bring in the anthropologist is because he will teach us that vulnerability is actually power. And the reason why vulnerability is power is because specifically vulnerability not only reveres, but it demands interconnectivity. And if that's too complicated for anybody, they can just use the word love. If you need a metric for your, for your data analytics department to understand whether what they're doing is good for the customer, for the society, or for their employee, if did it spread love? And if the answer is no, and you, or if the answer is, I don't know, then we're off track, um, nice. dropping the mic, I'm out. Boom! <laughs> I love that.
1: I love I, it. I,
2: Go ahead, sorry.
3: Eric.
1: I I mean that was beautiful. Um, I I couldn't agree more. Um, I I think that that absolutely is missing right now. It's a it's a big missing part. Um, We're we're not honoring any of what you just said, uh, Scott. At least in traditional corporate America, I don't I don't see it there. Um, I see it in 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 spurts. Um, But in order to do it, you need that consistency. You need that consistency in order to do it. You need that drip campaign, that steady drumbeat in order to do what you were just saying to do. Because that's, that's a beautiful thing, what you just said. How, how you're measuring KPIs, like out of love, or if, if it's not, then you're missing something. Then we're not aligned. We're not all on the same page. We're not, um, we're, we're not embracing, you know, I'll, I'll always keep getting back to it, thought diversity. And yes, we learn a lot from our past, and we should definitely exploit that and not tend to repeat it. And I think in, in corporate America for, for many, many years now, um, we're repeaters, yeah. maybe inch up a little bit, but we're predominantly repeaters, which is why I love the boardroom analogy. Cause then, you know, now you're starting to say, okay, how could we advance, right? How could we I- advance each other? Um, and not just, you know, consistently live, um, in, in this, this, this cycle of, of just doing the same thing over and over and over again, and just rebranding it something different. You know, it's talent management today, or it's performance management tomorrow. it's talent. The, the people, you know, it, you're just repackaging things. Um, so I really love that. I, I really love that. Uh, that, that's going to get me thinking tonight.
0: Well, awesome. Well, so, so as we kind of wrap this up now, um, and maybe I'm just repackaging, but I'm not so sure is, if we're going to find that love in each other and that respect, uh, then we need to get to, t- we need to take the time to get to know and see <laughs> one another as individuals Uh, We need to be able to embrace our individual capacities, which I believe oftentimes are unknown. I mean, it took you to have to speak uh, to the gentleman in the accounting department what kind of capacity he had. And so what you've really done for us today, Eric, which I'm extraordinarily appreciative of, uh, without saying it directly, but it was clearly implied, uh, being a leader in today's age of personalization, uh, it's a whole other different level of responsibility. Uh, It's one that requires us uh, to really be in touch uh, with the people that we lead and to recognize that we just don't have all the answers anymore. And the truth is we never really did. And that our roles as as leaders is more about getting to know the people uh, that we lead so that they can teach us how to best lead them to get to our desired outcome. In other words, we need to be more co-design. We have to have a, right. a mentality of co-design Rabbit. rather than one that says, if I win, you lose. So, yep. Eric, you have been extraordinary today. Oh, it pleasure,
2: Glenn. Yeah. No, no,
0: no. You're, you're quick and you awesome. know your stuff. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of organizations and leaders are going to hear this, uh, our, our, our time with you today, and they're going to benefit immensely from it. Uh, so thank you, Eric. Any closing thank comments? You. Oh, no, of course.
1: we're so- I, I, would, I would just love to close on this, this one statement. It's very simple. It's very short. Everybody, I do believe this, everybody is special and does something special. Everybody has a superpower. It's having, it's understanding what that is and figuring it out. And you may not figure it out until you're 100. You're going to figure it out at some point, or you may figure it out, you know, right out of the womb. Somebody's going to figure it out, but it's also making sure that you're, you're exploiting that and you're sharing that with others because somebody is going to key in on that. That's
0: Whatever. it. That's okay. it. I mean, in many respects, talent uh, management has to do with the discovery of talent. That's and, right. And that is clearly the role of this broader responsibility that we have as leaders. So, Scott, last minute or uh, closing comments, even though you've already dropped the mic. Spread I know. That was, that was tough to beat, Scott. Spread I mean, love. Spread love. <laughs> I love <spread> it. Love. <laughs> well, on that note, I'd like to thank you, Scott, and thank you, Eric. And as we always close our shows, uh, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't. Do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit. Thanks again, Eric. We greatly appreciate your time. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely
2: substitution, not evolution.